Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Good evening, Bridge Church. It's always good to worship uh, God with family. Isn't that right? These guys set it up on the tee for the preacher. I mean, it's, it's easy to come up here. Incredible band. God has blessed us, not with just great musicians, but men and women that love the Lord, and it shows through their expression of, of playing and, and leading us in worship. So it, it is just so good. Uh, if you are new or this is you know your, your first time or you've been visiting with us a little bit, you're going to learn that the Bridge Church exists to connect, to help connect you with God to help you grow with family and serve our city. Family is important to us. It is one of the key words that that we use all the time. We we believe that church is not like a family, but it is a family. And when you believe that and you you really soak that in your mind, you treat people differently. And and so this is a a really good message about that. My name is Steve Cantor. I am uh, one of the lay elders. Doesn't stand for lazy elder or anything like that just means I don't get my money from the church here. I have a different job, uh, but by God's grace, I'm in ministry. I help start new churches all across uh, New York City. So I I love being a part of this family, and I love serving as an elder on this church. So uh, uh, since we're family, I'm going to share a true and very recent story to kind of kick us off today. About four weeks ago, uh, Pastor Josh and, and Pastor James asked me if I'd be willing to preach. I'm like, Yes, I love preaching. I don't get to do it as much as I used to when I was a, as my daughter would say, when I was a real pastor, when I had a church and stuff. So whenever I get a chance to preach, it's great. And whenever I get a chance to preach to my church family and with my church family, it's even better. So I'm excited about it. Next thing they say, hey, it's in the book of James. Awesome. One of my favorite books for the most part throughout my life, my Christian life has been the book of James. So I'm real excited. I'm thinking, I hope I get James too. I hope, you know, I get to talk about faith and works. But in the back of my mind, there was one chapter I did not want to have. There was this one little chapter that I didn't want to have because it talks about our deeds, or excuse me, it talks about our words, how we use our tongue to, uh, to bless people or to curse people. I didn't want that verse. Here's why. Um, about 18 months ago, uh, I've started having some, some back pain. It's been really hard for doctors to kind of diagnose and, and find the root cause of it. So, so I've just been kind of living in this chronic pain. Uh, and then the medicine that they've been giving me, uh, it's, it's something that, same thing they give people with epileptic seizures. So it's not like, I'm not like high up here. So don't think, ah, oh, Steve's high on medicine, preaching. No, it's not that kind of medicine. But what it ha- does is it slows down some of the neurons to where the pain is uh, radiating from to try to help with the pain. But I think it's slowing down some neurons up here because my, I can blame it on age. I can say, you know, I'm post, post 40. But it's, it's like my memory and my recall is, is, is like dissipating. It's going away. And so I'm, I'm always trying to, rem- trying to remember events and activities. But like recalling words is terrible. I'm like, you know, let's go to that, all that one place um, like where you get food and the waitress comes. Like a restaurant? Yeah, that's it. So I have a hard time pulling these words out of my head sometimes. And so for 18 months, and when you are a pastor and when your job depends upon your communication to accomplish it well, it gets very frustrating. So for really the past eight months, I've been living in this world of frustration between the pain and really realizing I'm wrapping my identity up in my role and my communication 
And as I feel like some of that is being taken away, I just kind of live in this frustration. And I felt like this predicament gave me permission to be irritable, to be grumpy, to be reckless with my words. And guess whom I took it out on? You take it out on the people you're closest to. You take it out on your family. Now, I'm not brave enough to take it out on my wife, so (laughs) she'd get me. So I took it out on my three daughters. And you guys know how much I love my daughters. So I would come home and I would just find things to complain about. I, I would look for things to pick on. Not, not pick on them, but like, you know, you guys are supposed to clean. Why are you wearing that? What, what's happening? I just felt like I was losing control. You know, the, the towels aren't lined up right. Girls, I told you I want the towels. The gray one's over here. The white one's over here. And it became a weight on them. I knew that I was harming them with my words. I knew it. I knew the tone of, of, that I was taking. I knew the facial expressions that I was giving was, was demeaning them. I, I knew that it was tearing them down, but I thought, I'll make up for it next time. I'll be better next time. And then I would come home. I would be frustrated and pain, just want to go lay down. And same thing, yelling about these things and, and, and getting on to them. And, and then one day, my wife called me uh, aside and, uh, and she pulled me aside and told me I had to get this under control. She said, I'm destroying my daughters. M- my, my wife said that they feel like they can never do enough and were on the edge whenever I walked into the room. Now, this was a week before James called me and says, will you preach about tongues? And I felt the pain that I caused them. I felt the guilt. Listen, I'm 42 years old. So so not only am I the whitest person in this church, but I think I'm the oldest active member in this church. This fall, I will be a Christ follower for 24 years. And and after all this time, I still control, have problems controlling this one little muscle called the tongue, about three ounces of muscle and tissue And at times, and in certain circumstances, it still controls me and not I it. So when this passage was given to me to preach, I I knew that God was trying to get my attention in a big way. I knew that the text was not only something that we needed to hear corporately as a family, but something that I needed to hear personally as his son. I knew the message was meant just as much for me if not more so, than it was for you. So so today I'm a preacher and I'm a teacher, but I'm also a student and I'm a pupil. I'm trying daily to apply these truths to my family. I I think it's working because my wife hasn't called me out anymore in the past four or five weeks, and and I know she would if I needed it. That's what your boo is for, calling you out when you need it. But for some of you, this sermon is going to be your boo. It's going to call you out today. It's going to convict you. And if you read the book of James, which reads more like a sermon than it really does a letter to the church, which is probably why it's so convicting, in the first two chapters, we see how James describes these key qualities of a maturing Christian. Chapter one is about being patient in times of trouble. The letter was written to a group of believers that, uh, uh, that were poor and being persecuted. And he's saying, listen, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your troubles... Be patient. 
Know that you're a God and God knows who you are. Chapter 2, we saw this maturity of faith that is marked with actions or works. One of the most controversial passages in the Bible, James 2.14, and it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, Russell, uh, who ain't got no memory deficiency, he, he, he unpacked this. He got a, did a great job, and, and, and basically he said, we, we don't get saved, excuse me, we don't do works to be saved, but we do works because we are saved. It's an outflowing of a growing Christian life. It's a growing maturity in Christ. So today, the third mark of a growing maturity mentioned in chapter 3 of James is how we speak, our tongue, our words, the taming of the tongue, or being able to control our speech and using our words to bless others. I need my bookmarks. I got to grab that one. Words are important, aren't they? Words are powerful. Can we agree that words are important and words are powerful? Just think about the first time someone said, baby, I love you. You know I love you. Isn't it so much different than I really like being with you? You're a great person. But when they say I love you, there's something in those, what, eight little letters that, that, that makes, I mean, just take your hands and just, you feel the tingle from the back of your ears all the way down your spine. It left you breathless. It maybe made your stomach feel just kind of empty. Just eight little letters that I love you. There's power in words. Words are important. A fun fact, the average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. And before you think it, women are not bringing up that average a whole lot. They they speak about the same number of words between as men and women. I'm a little bit of an introvert, so I'm probably on the lower side of that. Uh, My daughter, Mishy, is not so much of an introvert, so I think she brings up the average for everybody. She loves sharing, and I love listening. Um, but men and women speak about the same number of words, 16,000 a year. That means we're speaking about a 200-page novel every three days, just over three days. And in a year, you will put together 108 200-page novels just through your words. So you can see that talking takes up a big portion of our waking and some of your guys' sleeping lives. So, so it's no surprise, right? It's no surprise that God addresses this portion of our lives. Why? Because words are important. Words are powerful. Think about how God chose to bring into an existence all of the creation. He could have done anything he wanted. You know, clap on, boom, there's the, there's the water. Clap off, boom, there's the animals of the sea. He could have just drawn, drawn it with his finger. But no, he chose from the very beginning in Genesis 1, nine times, you hear this phrase, and God said, From the very beginning, God is demonstrating the power of words. Words are important. Words are powerful. So let's dive into the text, James 3.1. And the first thing is I want you to see is that words have the power to describe. James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we... So James is including himself in this. He says, you know that we teach... Will be those who, for you know that we who teach will be judged for greater strictness. So the book of James was written to this group of Christian Jews uh, who were most likely forming these network of house churches all outside of Israel. Within that group, there are apparently some issues that they had to deal with. So James is addressing these issues. And one of the issues was people wanted to be the teacher. They wanted the position. They wanted the authority. There's a certain amount of authority that came in that culture with being a teacher. 
That's why when you look at, uh, in, the, in the book of Luke, Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee and he comes to Peter. And he says, Peter, and Peter had fished all night, right? He went fishing all night and couldn't catch anything. They would fish at night because they had these big nets. So once day came, fishing, fishing time was over. But it was morning and, and Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, let's get on the boat and let's push out and I want you to drop your nets. What's Peter say? He said, Lord, I've been fishing all night. He said, teacher, is actually what he said. He, he called him a form of rabbi. He said, I've been teaching, or excuse me, I've been fishing all night and I've caught nothing. Then he says, but as you say, I'll do it. Listen, Peter was the fisherman. He knew how to fish. Jesus comes along. He's a teacher. He's not a fisherman, but yet he did out of respect for the position. So there was an authority that came with that position, and, and people were wanting some of this. However, James is warning that there's a stipulation with being a teacher, and that is you will be judged more strictly. Isn't that fair? I think it is. If a person wants a position of authority, his or, wor- his or her words have much greater impact than someone without that position. How many of you guys like to follow trials on TV, like to watch the, uh, the media and follow some trials? How many of you guys have seen uh, Making of a Murder? You know, yeah, my daughter got me hooked on that one, and we watched that. Or, or you've watched the Trayvon Martin case or, or the OJ case. You've watched these different cases, and, and throughout it, you're, you're making a judgment claim. You're saying he's guilty, he, she's innocent. And we love to say this is what we think. But at the end of the day, it matters nothing. Because the only thing that matters, the position, is the person who's in the position to make that call. I can say guilty, 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 but one judge just has to say innocent. Our whole room here can say innocent, but one judge or one jury can say guilty. They are in a position of authority. And with that, James is saying that if you're going to be teaching about the things of eternal consequences, you should you not be judged more harshly. And of course, absolutely. So the words have power to describe our role and our authority within the Christian family. But it also has the power to describe our spiritual growth and maturity. Let's look at James 3.2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Listen, I'm thankful for this verse. I hear that we're going to stumble and we're going to fall, that everyone is, and, and we can all look back. I can look back to just my daughters four or five weeks ago. I'm going to get that tatted right here on my neck and some whiting so nobody sees it. But, but we're all going to falter along the way, our faith journey. And just like I did with how I was speaking to my daughters, we're going to have these times where we slip up. That's why they call it what? The slip of the tongue. The question to ask is, are you growing in the area? When you look at your life, do you see some growth in that area? One of the marks of Christian maturity is the ability to control the tongue. James was even more empathetic or emphatic, excuse me, about this in chapter 126. When he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is not very good, it's all right. No. He says it's worthless. It's absolutely 
worthless. Last week we read that your faith without works is worthless. Russell did an incredible job teaching that point. I love that line when he talked about the demons even have the right theology. They get it. This week we hear that the unconstrained tongue is an indicator of immature Christians. And the controlled tongue is evidence of a fruitful and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So the tongue helps us describe, it helps us to determine where are we in our spiritual walk. But here's something else I want you to see. If you think this message is about controlling your tongue, you're going to miss the point. James is not saying that if you can simply learn to tame your tongue and tame your words, then all your earthly struggles will go away. No, some of our earthly struggles just go away because we get old, right? There's things, there's chemical changes in the body where when you struggle with lust at one point, you just get old and it's like, I don't care, whatever, right? You, you, you struggle for power. You want power. And then all of a sudden, you just kind of get old and you just realize, man, I ain't going to get that. I don't even want it no more. But the tongue, man, he says it's going to be a struggle all of your life. In fact, later on, James, later on, James is going to say that it is impossible for a man to tame his tongue. What James is saying is the work of taming the tongue takes us to the very epicenter of our heart, to the very core of your heart. You see, there, there, there's this connection. Our heart, our tongue, and our very lives. Let, let me show you what I mean. Jesus would say it like this in Luke 6.45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth will what? His mouth will speak. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth will speak. James 2 says that the man that doesn't stumble with his words is able to bridle his whole body. So there is this natural flow exists. Out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. And what we speak will determine our life's actions. Check this out. If you feel hate in your heart, you will speak hate with your tongue. And if you speak hate, you will eventually be acting in a hateful way. Why are we so afraid of some of our presidential candidates? Because they speak hate. And if we know they speak hate, we can just back up and we know there's hate in their heart. And our fear is that they're going to move forward and they're going to respond and live a life full of hate. If you feel that you need to lie to cover up something your heart, you will, be, you will speak a lie with your tongue, and if you speak it, it won't be long before you're living a lie with your life. Words are not powerful because of the longitudinal waves they produce. That one's for Russell. I looked up that word. No, it's, it's because words are an indicator of our heart, and they direct how we live. So our words to others reveal what we feel about them. And eventually we will be threatening, we will be treating, and eventually it shows us how we will be treating them. Because from our heart to our mouths to our lives, therefore, our words are our primary indicator of our heart. Our words describe our progress of our spiritual walk with Jesus. Because the point... To, because they point to the core of our heart. 
Now listen, this isn't a verse we should be scared of. This is a verse we should be thankful for. We're always asking ourselves, how am I growing? Am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I, more clo- am I closer to God this year than I was this time at last year? What Jesus says, just look at your words because it's an indicator of your heart. So this is the litmus test. This is how you grade, am I growing in my relationship with Christ? Look at your words. Our words have the power to describe our spiritual walk with Christ. Here's the second major point I want you to understand, that, that the words also have the power, words have the power to direct. Look at James 3. We're going to read a few verses here. It says, if we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. All right, so once way back in the day, I, uh, I, we moved from the city into kind of a more rural area where my parents still live today in uh, Cincinnati, near Cincinnati, Ohio. So we had neighbors that were friends, and he has this, like, he had this big open area that he had a, they call it a paddock, right? That's where, like, horses run. Anybody race, run, ride horses? Didn't think so. Not a big thing here in Brooklyn. <laughs> I didn't at the time either, and I still don't. So, but he wanted some, he asked me, hey, Steve, you want to take care of my horses, feed them, water them a couple times a day? And I said, absolutely, you know, the money was good, and play around with some horses. And, and then he, one summer, he's like, hey, listen, I want them to be ridden to get some exercise. I'm going to pay for you to take riding lessons. So, all right, I'll do this. So I started taking riding lessons. The first few lessons, I don't know, it was like the lady had this rope on them and just kind of guide you around. The second or third lesson, whichever one, one it was, it's the lesson where I'm all by myself. I mean, she's there, but I'm on the horse by myself. So I got the reins, it's got the bit in the mouth. And we're just kind of trotting around the field or uh, the paddock, just kind of going around in circles around the fence. And just like that, I, I accidentally dropped the reins. And just like that, the horse took off. Listen, we went from trot to sprint. There was no gallop, no canter, nothing. We were just from straight from like 10 to 60 in three seconds. And about 25 seconds into this rodeo ride, I felt that the only way that I was going to get off this horse without getting too much damage was to leap off of it. So I just leaned to one side, getting ready to just jump. And this horse is at full steam ahead. And then all of a sudden, just like that, that I was going to, you know, I've watched a lot of movies. So I was going to do the tuck and roll and I was going to be all right. <laughs> I was ready for it. I wasn't always chubby, so I could have done it. But all of a sudden, this horse stopped and boom, it just threw me straight off. And for about 10 feet, I skidded on my knees with gravel and pebbles. That night, I went home with tweezers and started pulling little rocks out of my kneecaps. I quickly learned the influence of a small piece of metal in the mouth of a very large animal. When I lost control of that, control of that piece of metal, I lost control of the horse. The average thoroughbred weighs about 1,000 pounds. The horses that you see racing. Yet the jockey that rides in, those, those tiny little guys... They weigh about 115 pounds. I wasn't 115 pounds in fifth grade. So they're tiny. (laughs) Yet that bit bit in the mouth of that horse, just a few ounces of metal, can direct a 1,000-pound beast. One of the most expensive yachts in the world 
and it costs $300 million. And it takes a crew of 47 people to operate it. It's 360 feet long and 50 feet wide, yet two little rudders about the size of three to four feet guide that ship in the biggest of storms across the biggest of seas. A small bit enables the rider to control the horse and a small rudder enables the captain to guide the ship. The tongue is a small member of the body and yet it has the power to direct our life. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome these contrary forces. The bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse and the rudder must constantly fight the sea, the winds, and the currents that would drive the ship off course. Both the bit and the rudder, though, must be under the control of a strong hand. That's what I learned riding that horse, that if I didn't keep a strong hand on the reins, I will lose control. The human tongue is also under some contrary forces, and it must be under the control of the strong hand. When Jesus Christ directs the heart, it comes out in our words and then it shows through our lives. Jesus Christ must be the strong hand that's, contr- that's controlling that little muscle. Our lives can have great impact in seeing men and women come to know Jesus. Our lives can have great influence in tackling the needs of our city. When our lives are directed by the power of God's Spirit, we have the power to direct the lives of others. When you live a life in the power of God, it is not about being a great speaker. It's not about being, having the eloquent words to say. It's about knowing that your words are empowered by God. You look at Paul. He's a great example. Paul's the greatest missionary we've known. He's planted all these churches throughout the known world. He, he conquered the known world for the most part, planting churches and starting new works. Yet Paul, in his own words, says, I don't come with eloquent speech. Basically, he said, I'm a terrible preacher. It's like, I'm an all right writer, but I'm not a very good preacher. But Paul didn't come with, with eloquent words. He came with the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So our words have the power to describe our spiritual walk, and they have the power to direct people to Christ. And the third point I want us to see is that the words have the power to destroy. It's James 3. Five, the second part of verse 5 uh, through 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteous. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The Chicago fire of 1871 burned from October 8th to October 10th and destroyed thousands of buildings it killed about 300 people and caused over, in that time, this is a tenement, still is, but $200 million in damages. It destroyed 3.3 square miles and left 100,000 people without a home. You would think a fire of such magnitude that would cause so much destruction and damage would have this huge source like a firebomb or an explosion that just lit up the city. But the cause is thought to, is thought to be a cow knocking over a lantern in a nearby barn. And the fire spread and burned for two days. And before it was extinguished, nearly 80% of the city at that time was destroyed. So when James wrote this book, he was trying to address the issues that were going on amongst these house churches uh, that were spreading throughout the region. And it appears one of the issues was gossiping. 
I'm glad we don't have that problem no more in our churches. Right? This is kind of history lesson. Let's just talk about it for history's sake so we know what they used to be like. Let's talk about it, all right? Gossip starts with a spark on the tongue, and before it can be extinguished, it can burn through the family of Christ and completely destroy her. Our words are a reflection of our heart, and when we gossip or talk negatively about someone who is not present, we run the risk of starting a forest fire that we can't control. One of the most destructive things you can do in your church is gossip. Proverbs 26, 20 through 21 reads, Without wood, a fire goes out. All right? The wood feeds the fire. Second part of the verse. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies. A little beef going on in the church? Stop gossiping and it will die out. A charcoal to embers and wood to fire. So it's a quarrelsome person for the kindling of strife. Don't allow yourself to be sucked into gossip. Don't seek out it either. The passage is clear that this kind of talk comes from hell and the devil himself. Disunity of God's family is the devil's greatest weapon for slowing down the movement of the church, and he finds the greatest joy in it. Disunity in the church is always, always, always is the work of the devil. So if you are part of gossiping, and allowing yourself to be controlled by Satan, you are causing harm to his church. If you hear it, call it out. Let the instigator know that what they are doing has the potential of wrecking a church. And then say something positive about the person being attacked. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are supposed to be a family that builds each other up. Let's keep reading. James 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea, creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of poison. All right, so let me tell you another story. Some of you have heard it before, but it's been one of the most significant stories in my life. It happened when I was six years old. My, my parents got married. My dad just turned 16. My mom was 16 as well. Uh, surprised that they were pregnant. And, and so they're 16-year-olds raising kids. They dropped out of school. My dad went into the military, eventually got a GED, and was in college. So this is the season of my life. I'm about six years old, going to first grade, and we were just poor. I mean, we had nothing. We, we lived in projects of Cincinnati, not like, you know, Brownsville or anything, but, but they were the projects of sin. I don't want to like overdo it. I'm talking about words here, you know, but we're living in these, these projects. We had nothing. I mean, we had so little that my parents worked hard. They did what they can, but we had very little. And I had about two pairs of pants I had to wear every day. And one pair of those pants were these checkered high waters. Think Williamsburg, right? They, they would be awesome today, but back then they were not, they were not so awesome. So I was very self-conscious about them anyhow, but I walk into this school and I'm walking with my buddy and we're going down the hall and I hear this, hey, fat kid. I was chubby back then. Hey, fat kid, can I play checkers on your pants? <laughs> Look, you're laughing at my pain. I'm going to be talking about this one day. About, they made fun of my pain. But here's what I did. I immediately ran into the bathroom and just wept and cried for about 10 or 15 minutes. The teacher had to go get me, then bring me to the class. I was completely 
wounded, destroyed, and feeling, you know, just like I've been belittled to the lowest point. Here I am, 36 36 years later, sharing the story with you. We laugh, we kind of joke, but the story not only destroyed some securities that I had, but it's directed me for years. One of the things I learned doing the sermon is uh, how that particular story especially has impacted the way I father. When my girls were little, uh, Katie, Beth, and Maddie mostly, I I got over it. I've worked through it before I got to mission. But my girls, when they were little, it drove me crazy. They always wanted to wear these ugly board shorts. They never wanted to get new shoes. They would wear them out until their toes would stick through them. They had these, I thought, these cartoon, ugly graphic T-shirts. I hated it. I wanted them to put their hair nice. I would go buy them dresses. I would go buy them stylish pants. I would buy them new shoes. I've, put, I've given so many new clothes away to Goodwill because of that. And they wouldn't wear them. They hated them. They were googly. They were uncomfortable. They didn't like them. We had so many fights about their outfits. And it goes back to this story because my girls were not going to be the fat checker kid pants walking down the hall. My girls were not going to go through what I did. And so it became a time where my words were again causing destruction in their life. And I was arguing about things that weren't even important. A 10-second verbal spark has burned in my life for 36 years. And I've imparted it potentially to my daughters. This is why James says, we can tame the wild animal, but we can't tame the tongue. He says it's humanly impossible. I have a 100-pound lap. I thought I was getting like a 60, 70 pound dog. My bad. He's, he's nine months old and he's 100 pounds. And he wags his tail. You guys, city group, you guys have been over there. He's nuts. He'll wag his tail and it'll knock the trash can two or three feet from its base. His, his teeth are strong. We, we have this tug of war rope and, and he had this rope and I'm sitting in the chair and he pulls it backwards and he knocks me backwards off the chair. He's so strong. But you know what I can do? I can lay right there in front of him, pull his gums up and just tickle his teeth and I do it just to see how he responds. I'll put my hand in his mouth and to see if he'll bite me. I'll hug and I'll kiss him and I'll, I'll, the girls make fun of me because man, I'll, I'll put him in a bear hug and start rolling and wrestling. I don't have a boy, so I got this dog. That's all I got. I tried after three times. I'm like, I'm done. Just give me a dog. And so, I mean, I treat him. I, I wrestle with him like wrestle. Listen than that. I wrestle with him like he's, like he's my son. And he doesn't bite me. He doesn't even growl or snarl at me. I have no doubt he will not bite my daughters. I don't care. I would leave, I leave him alone with my kids, a 10-month-old, 100-pound dog. Any of your kids, I would trust to go and let them tickle his nose and mouth as well. He will not bite. I can tame this 100-pound dog, but I can't tame my tongue. So what James is saying is first he says we must tame the tongue, but then he says you can't tame the tongue. He says, it's humanly impossible, and it's this tension we live in. We work to tame the tongue, but at the end of the day, we can't. But that's the gospel. That's the power. We can't save ourselves either, but Christ can. So it's under the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it possible. We're right back in this tension James set up earlier with works and faith. 
We strive and work hard to tame the three-ounce beast, our tongue, but the power will come from the gospel. And that's the beauty of it. It takes the things that are impossible for man to do alone and makes them possible through the power of the Spirit. What did we say about words? They're an indicator of our heart. Just as salvation is impossible to obtain apart from Christ, the continual transformation of our heart and therefore our words is only possible for the transformational work of Christ. Here, listen, very practically speaking, this is a reminder to our day that we need Christ every day, day to day and moment by moment, we need Jesus. That is why the Bridge Church wants to help you connect to God because you need him. You need his son. And that's also why we want to help you grow with family. Because the second part of our mission, that growing with family, we know it's tough. You can't tame the tongue on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. But the best evidence, the best way of transformational change in your life happens when you are walking with God and you're doing, it with, doing life with others. So this kind of leads me to my last point. So we've talked about the power of the tongue can describe where we are spiritually. It can direct our lives. It can destroy people. But words also have the power to delight. James 9 through 12. He says, with, the, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in his likeness. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. How do you view people? Do you simply see them as that person in the way to get that last subway seat? Are they the homeless man that just brings down the value of the city and just dirties our street. See, how you view people determines how you feel, your heart, about them. And our heart will determine how we speak to them. And how we speak to them will determine how we treat them. You see, when you encounter the homeless man on the subway and you see him as a creation created in the very image of God, you feel compassion for him. And this leads you to ask him what is his needs, which leads you to serving him. In that process, you brought delight to that man and you brought delight to God. Listen, we, we have a, some, Vaughn does an incredible job with a known campaign and it's built off this premise. Let's not just find ways to give people something, but let's give people something so we can talk to them. Because we know our conversation is built from our heart and that's going to lead towards our actions. So we give a sweatshirt, but we're looking for other needs to meet, ways that we can pray. You need some soap, shampoo, let us, let us meet that need because it was built from the heart. In hot regions like the Palestinian region at this time, the natural spring waters can bring cool, refreshing water, and that's what the people needed to stay alive. It was their life source. Water is life-giving, and our words can give life to someone. Literally, our words can be the matter of life and death to people. Overstated? Look at Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
How many stories have we read about boys or girls, just 11, 12, 14, 15-year-olds that have been bullied online? Text and Facebook posts, those are our words as well, who seemingly have like no other problems going on in their lives, yet they ended their own lives over that constant, constant, painful words being lodged at them every day and every night. It's not only teenagers, but it's also adults. Even if there are not physical death, there's an emotional death from our words, and it is very real. When you speak words of hate, unbridled anger, lust, or whatever towards another person, you're speaking to the Creator Himself. But when you delight in the creation of the Creator, and your words reflect the value you see in people, you bring honor and glory to God. So delight in God's creation. Delight in the uniqueness of diversity. Delight in his people. And in doing this, you are a fresh water source to the very soul. And you will bring delight to that person, and you will bring delight to God. Through this sermon, we've been talking about how do we tame the tongue and our words. What we should be asking is how do I be the type of person in which the right words will just flow? If we answer that question, we can come back to our hearts. I'm always cautious about doing this because when I give people quick little practical tips, it's like they become the law or like this is the only way to do it. But sometimes I hate leaving because people are like, okay, what do I do? What's next? So let me give you five practical tips. Let me give you five quick tips that can help you determine and dress your heart and, be, and can you become the type of person that words and blessings just flow out of your mouth? So here they are. One, be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Be quick to listen. Shut up for a minute. Don't be the mon me monster. When you're at the table, how many times do you sit there and just waiting for somebody to finish their story so you can interject your story into it? God is saying, no, 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 no. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Abraham Lincoln said this, It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and, and remove all doubt. <clears throat> Another one. Number two, bite your tongue more often. Just bite your tongue. If 126 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, does not bite his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Don't feel like you always have to say something. Just bite your tongue. Some wombs aren't even worth addressing. It's not going to get you anywhere. Bite your tongue. Number three, refuse to tear others down. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another. James uh, 5.9 says, uh, do not grumble against one another. Make a commitment in your life that you're going to refuse to tear people down. Number four, speak only what is true. James 5.12 says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Speak only what is truth. Don't exaggerate. Don't overstate things for the audience, for the story, for the, for the effect. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Number five, say you're sorry and pray for one another. Say you're sorry 
and pray for one another. Therefore, 5.16 in James says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. One of the things that I do is uh, people that I don't like, people that uh, I feel are wounding me. I have those little sticky notes on my desktop on my computer and I put them at the very top of my prayer list. Because when I pray for people I don't like, guess what I start seeing them as? A creation of God. And my words are impacted in how I talk to them. And when I talk to them differently, I start responding them to differently, responding to them differently. And I have seen God use this here with relationships in New York City. I've seen God take wounds and heal those. And that is my prayer, that one, our words will not be destructive so we're not in the middle of those. But when we are, let's use our words to bring God glory and to edify that person and restore the unity of the church. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious God. Lord, we know our words are important. We know our words are powerful. And Lord, so we ask that you would help us. You would help us to bridle our tongue. Lord, that you would help us to be people that get life through our words, people that edify the body, not disunify it. Lord, may we be known as a church that is gracious, that is loving, Lord, that has a heart for those that are far from you, that has a heart for those that nobody else wants. And Lord, from that heart, may our words to them bring life like a fresh spring water into a hot, dry desert. And Lord, may those words then lead to actions that would bring healing to them or bring a service to the needs that they have. And Father, we thank you that you forgive us. That when I talk to my daughters in a way that I shouldn't, that you give me an opportunity to restore first my relationship with you and then my relationship with others. That is only possible because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross. And Father, so in here, those people that are uh, wondering, what does it look like to have a relationship with you? Lord, just let them sense and let them know that it's simply submitting and surrendering themselves to you and to the work of the cross. We ask this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.